enjoying the neighbours' films. Welcome to Pot. Welcome one and all to episode 422 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly and I'm joined this week by English Dan. Hello. And we uh, have remembered to open the window this week, which we forgot about last week. And literally 10 seconds or so before I switched the microphone on, one of Dan's friends, uh, Dan's neighbours, started, started watching a film quite loudly. <laughs> so if you can hear that in the background, you'll just have to put up with it. Um, shall I read out the results? Yeah, I believe we had a few derbies at the weekend, right? We had one or two, yeah. yeah. I can't really remember what happened. Um, Some of them were eminently forget- forgettable. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it really would have helped if I'd had my phone ready at this point. But uh, normally, of course, we'd be recording with more people and I'd have had a bit more time to remember. But uh, with only two of us, inevitably. Come on, and now my very slow, very old phone is taking its time. <laughs> To load the page. Because I believe this weekend only finished last night. It was a marathon. Yeah, indeed. Five days, yeah. Weekend ended last night and tomorrow's the bank holiday. Yeah. For you people who work in Argentina anyway. Actually, no, not for you. Not for me. (laughs) Certainly not for me. But for Anna and for Noel, yes. So they'll be bugging me all day while I work. Uh, Anyway, here we go. Results from last weekend were on Friday, Aldo CB3, Patronato 1, not a derby. Tigre 4, Platense 0, that one is a derby, sort of. Uh, Barracas Central 2, Sarmiento 1, not a derby. On Saturday, the actual derbies started in earnest and they finished Lanús 0, Banfield 1, San Lorenzo 0, Huracán 0, Colón 0, Unión 0, Independiente 1, Racing 2, Rosario Central 0, Newells 1, Gimnasia 1, Estudiantes 1, River 0, Boca 1. Defensive, uh, those are on Saturday and Sunday, and then on Monday we get back to some that are slightly more debatable as Clásicos. Defensa y Justicia versus Arsenal in the kind of... Not a Avellaneda does have other football clubs honest Clásico. Uh, finished 1-1. Argentinos Juniors, who arguably should have been playing Platense this last weekend, uh, actually hosted Vélez Sarsfield and 1-1-0. And then on Tuesday, Atletico Tucumán lost 1-0 at home to Central Córdoba de Santiago del Estero. Not a Clásico. And Tacheres beat Godoy Cruz 2-1 in another not a Clásico. Definitely not a Clásico, though. No. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't point out, because I'm sure we'll... If not, we'd have a huge reaction and um, lots of criticism letters been writing in deference. Defensive with this year is not from the Partido de Avellaneda, it's from Florencio Varela. Of course they are, yes. Just in case to ward off any, you know, um, fanatics in Zona Sur, we do know our geography. It was a slip of the tongue, I'm sure. Mm. Yeah, no, you're quite right. That, that sort of vague area 
Yes. Uh, was what I was getting. The southern zone. The southern mm. suburbs of Buenos Aires, I think, as we put it in the, the last podcast. But yeah, anyway, the, that's the, the, here the imaginary uh, conurbation of Greater Avellaneda, if you like. I sure. I actually remember whether Florencia Moreno even borders Avellaneda, but <laughs> anyway. Um, and if you're wondering what isn't it, Arsenal de Sarandí, then yeah, but Sarandí actually is part of Avellaneda, so. Indeed. I was right about that, at least. You were. Um, and we had a casualty as well in the coaching stakes, as we predicted would happen. Oh, we did, yeah. Kila Gonzalez left fairly soon after, um, I think the same night, actually, um, after losing 1-0 to Newell's, which was pretty much guaranteed. I think that was Newell's first Clásico victory in five years, I believe. They haven't, Is it that they haven't had a very, made a very good fist of it in the, in the Clásicos as of late. Mind you... Um, Both of them have been fairly rubbish. How many um, there will actually have been in that time is, is up for debate. Two, uh, I mean, apart from... I suppose, no, if it's just home or away, then there have been a few more, haven't they? Uh, yeah, one in 2020 and two in the other years. So Let's have a look. Nine, maybe? Eight? Um, prior to that 1-0 win, Newell's got a 1-1 draw against Central, and they lost 3-0... Two draws in 2019. There was a central win in the Copa Argentina in 2018. 2017 was uh, two wins for central, 1-0 and 3-1 away. And, yep, wow, October 2016. Yeah, so almost um, six years. For, for Newell's uh, 1-0 win away to Rosario Central. Uh, so October 2016, so that is, yeah, five and... Nearly five and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, Congratulations to them. Indeed, yeah. And they I were good value for it. Um, I've still not seen the goal, but I've heard that it involved an incredible run from a player who was not the actual goal scorer. Yes, I vaguely remember <laughs> That's it. That's right. Um, and they were fairly lucky because I think just before that they'd missed an absolute sitter. Um, so Newells would have been very pissed off if uh, if they didn't go on to take all three points. Um it was a nut, it was a pretty nice work goal. Um, the Newell's one in Central. They had their chances, like kind of were on top, just looking for old, the old warhorse Marco Rubin to come up with um, something special at his um, with his thirty-five years, uh, and just didn't happen really. Um, kind of, I don't, you know, I don't want to get into cliches this early into the podcast, but. Along with a lot of the games we saw at the weekend, just very typical classic. In fact, you know, I'd say Central News is a classic one for being more entertaining off the pitch than on the pitch. Off very, very often, the on pitch stuff is just very turgid and pales into comparison with the death threats uh, for Maxi Rodriguez's uh, grandmother and and all the other silliness that goes on. Yeah. Um, the atmosphere was fantastic, actually. I must say. Um, they got a tremendous welcome onto the Gigante de la Rochita pitch, um, including a lot of smoke bombs, which I saw uh, news in English kind of tag off hand as grenades, and then everyone, every single media outlet in England picking up on it and, um, and also calling them grenades, um, which I thought, you know, smoke grenades would be more, more accurate. Um, but, you know, great grenades makes for a good title. Um, 
And yeah, so yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, having originally got into the idea of crazy Argentine football just this last weekend after seeing these reports, sorry. it was fun, but you know, they, I don't think any anyone was really in danger of mortal injury unless it hit him directly in the face. Um, going back to my point, yeah, um, the Clásico Rosarino is often, you know, the worst of the bunch in terms of actual playing quality, but. It was quite entertaining, I must say, um, particularly compared to a lot of the other games that were going on uh, around them, with the notable exception of Independiente Racing. And news were, as I say, good value for the victory, and that will definitely give them a bit of a boost because they've been fairly hot and cold so far um, uh, in this year's uh, Copa Superliga, Copa Liga Profesional, whatever they're calling it. I was going to say that the quality of play in matches that are definitely classicos, I, I would say San Lorenzo versus Huracan for probably oh, a few Christ. years now. Not not just this this most recent one, but it's probably the one that I would hold up as being worse. Yeah, <laughs> and on Saturday that was a stinker. As well. That was a real stinker. Hmm. Um, only marginally worse, I must say, than Colón Union. Uh, which I thought was going to be quite good. Like maybe I was a bit more disappointed with that one because I had higher expectations. They both had decent starts. Didn't yeah, they? exactly. I mean, you look at San Lorenzo or again any game they've had, and you're like, ah, this is going to be shit. But Colón Union, you know, had some ingredients to be interesting. Union third, been doing third well. against third. Yeah, uh, at the start um, of the weekend before Tigres went over Platense the previous night. Yeah, but he ended up in a not entirely unexpected um, kind of manner. Union just not risking anything really, and Colón having more of the ball, but also not not looking especially interested in taking any risks and um, and putting their neck out there, and and yeah, that was the result. Like Colón just looking for something something special from El Pulgar Rodriguez and uh, guys like Bernardi. I thought um, Farias was interesting when he came on late. He, he injected at least a little bit of urgency into proceedings, but it was a game, you know, very much a, a nil-nil. Um, and I think either team really deserved more or less from it. Yeah, and I mean, I'm just looking at the standings, and first of all, Group 2, Colón's goals for and against record just looks pretty, you know, pretty much where you'd expect to see it, right? Mm. Group 2. Estudiantes are the only team in Group 2 who've so far got into double figures for goals scored. They've scored 12, they've conceded 9, which is a bit much for Estudiantes compared with what they'd normally be expecting up to 7 matches, but anyway. Um, Boca second, 9-4-6 against. Tigre have got 9-4 and only 3 against. Colón are fourth with 9-4 and 5 conceded. Um, the top 6 of Group 1... Union are the only ones who have not got into double figures for mm. goals scored now. So if you want to see goals, watch a Group 1 match. Uh, Racing have got 14 scored and 5 conceded. Defensive Justicia have got 14 scored and 11 conceded. Uh, Union have got 6 scored and 3 conceded. <laughs> Don't watch Union if you want to see goals. No. Not a bad football team, but probably not the best entertainment. Um... Oh, I've just gone back. I thought I was going back out of the match, but I've gone back out of the league, so now I've got to wait for my phone to reload everything. Uh, now, we should, of course, talk about the big one, Dan, which I'm afraid, 
we've got, we've got to be serious here, was River Boca. Uh, mm. We did a more detailed review of it, along with Andres for Handapod Extra. If people want to get over to patreon.com slash Handapod and sign up there, then you can hear us uh, immediately after that match. It was a, a, an alright Super Classico. I didn't really live up to the expectations that we gave it last week. It wasn't as good as some of the others that, in recent years. Mm. Um, but just... You know, we're obviously not going to go into as much detail as we did on Sunday evening, but just a very um, professional performance, I would say, by Boca. They kind of weathered the storm in the first half. Yeah, time. absolutely. They were a bit fortunate, perhaps, to be uh, to not be behind at half time. But then again, I, I don't know whether they were fortunate given Rivers finishing wasn't that true. Great. I and think then really nicked um, the goal early in the second half and, and shut it down. Took it from there. Yeah, yeah I think really, you know, as a neutral, what you would have been hoping from that game was an early river goal, right? Mm. Because that was the only thing that was going to open it up. You knew that. As long as it was nil-nil, um, Boca were fairly happy with that result. And I don't think River either would have been especially disappointed to come away with a draw. Um, it wouldn't have changed much in the course of their season, let's say. Uh, they're pretty much certain to be within the top four of the playoffs. Yeah. Um, a Boca goal, as we saw... Um, just killed the game stone dead aside from a very good save Agustin Brossi made in the Boca net from uh, Agustin Palavacino right? Oh there were a couple there, there was one from uh, but I'm talking the about the or free kick of yeah the, but I'm talking about the famous well. um, but, the yeah, header the save right at the well almost it, it looked like it was right in the death and then the referee gave five minutes of extra yeah. time so it was like nine minutes before <laughs> the end of the game which is a bit funny as well because um, as always happens in Bova in the Bova world Boca River um, it's a portmanteau. <laughs> Am I saying that right? I've never, you know, it's a word I've used a lot in portmanteau. R- I think. Portmanteau. I think, there we go. A portmanteau. Again, I've only ever seen it written down. So. All right. Yeah, I'll think of it as a portmanteau then. Um, of course, that's been used by the Boca side of Bova to, you know, exact Rossi, uh, future Argentina goalkeeper, future mega star, and all that was really. Um, he was caught quite a long way off his line mm. um, and if he'd just been positioned properly it would have been a straightforward you know standing catch with two hands um, and it never would have even um, made an impact um, so that's an interesting one you know sometimes it's in a goalkeeper's interest to get caught out and then just do a ridiculous acrobatic save yeah I mean, it's, they're all guilty it's of one it. Of those every where, game. yeah, it was a good save, but at the same time, he shouldn't have been. There. If, if he shouldn't have been six about, yards off his line in the first place. If so. we're talking about, you know, contention for the Argentine national team, it's a save that you find it difficult to see uh, Emiliano Martinez even having to. No, because he'd just be waiting in that there. same situation. Yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. Um, so to get back on track slightly, yeah, um, Boca did exactly what they were hoping to do. Capitalised on a. On a horrific mistake, um, how would we share the blame between Gonzalez Pires and Franco Armani? I mean, as I've I seen said, 60-40 bandied about. As I in, said on uh, Sunday, it was it was weird because they both made the wrong decision at exactly the same yeah. moment. They, uh, I guess, you'd have to Gon- give Gonzalez a little Pires bit more of the blame to the person who's actually in possession, but yeah, which would not be very good for Armani either. I mean, for listeners who've not seen it, Gonzalez Pires was kind of trying to shepherd the ball back, um, having not touched it, you know, and a bouncing ball through, so that Armani can 
scoop it up into his arms. The same thing we've seen a million centre-backs do with a million goalkeepers all around the world every weekend. Um, and then for some reason, at seemingly exactly the same time, where both of them just have to take one more step <laughs> each yeah. and Armani scoops the ball up, they both decided, no, that's it, I'm going to stop moving now. Yeah. And in the meantime, you had Sebastian Bisha coming like shit off a shovel. Yeah. And yeah, and the outcome was inevitable. Um, the only other comment that I've really got to make, given that we're, you know, quite deliberately, we're not going to go into as much detail on this match as we want to get paid on Sunday, because, you know, go over to Patreon. Yeah. Um, but is that Juan Fernando Quintero's got to play more. 29 minutes. <laughs> 29 minutes is, is not enough. And not one enough. of the things that actually I didn't mention on Sunday, um, but that was kind of really um, underlined why I love watching him so much was, one, one thing that I remember being told by a, a scout who was down here, you know, years ago, shortly mm. after I moved here, um, was that a very quick sort of shorthand way of seeing who a club's manager thinks is the, the player with the best technique on mm -hmm. the pitch at a given time is who's taking the set pieces. Right. If somebody's taking all of the corners, all of the free kicks, then there's a pretty good chance that they, you know, that, that the manager trusts at least their delivery. That, that shows a certain base level of technique. He knows they can kick a ball, essentially. Yeah. Now, Julian Alvarez at the moment, when he starts and when Quintero's not on the pitch, is the, the player taking certainly all of River's corners. Yeah. Which, you know, gives you a reason, you know, there's, there's, it's no secret to those of you who've been listening to us over the last few months that there's a reason that Manchester City have just paid millions and millions of dollars for Julian Alvarez, yeah. or pounds, I suppose. That seems counterproductive to me. If I'm a coach, I would want my... At the same time, he's not the biggest guy, is he? He's, he's not the he's biggest not the guy, but... Running the header in the six-yard box. No, but I'd still want him in the box, you know, even just to poke at home from, from two yards out. Like, yeah. I think that's where his skills are always going to be better utilised. But... Um, I'm not a coach, so... Anyway, what I was saying was, he, he was taking the left and the right corners while yeah. Quintero wasn't on the pitch. Once Quintero came on, obviously you give Quintero the free kick duties because he's one of the best free kick takers in the world, full stop, and why would you not mm -hmm. do that? And indeed, he almost scored from two, uh, one of which, as I mentioned, Rossi made a fine save from, the other was wide of the post, but the only players... I think the, the only two people in the stadium who realised what was going to happen were Quintero and Rossi. Mm. Uh, and I think that had it been on target, I, I think it would have just about had Rossi beaten, but it was hard to say. It wasn't awfully close, but it was agonising, let's say, because it was so surprising. Um, but after he came on, he was also taking, because he's left-footed, he was taking... The outswings. The, well, yeah, the, yeah, to make them into in-swingers, the, one the, the, the ones over on River's right flank, right. when Alvarez was taking them, had been outswingers. Ah, gotcha, yeah. And Alvarez I'm continued looking at the to take them on the other side. From the other side, is he? Yeah. yeah, Alvarez continued to take them on the other side. And that just kind of gave you this... Or for me, it, it was like watching... Um, j just underlining the difference in quality, because Alvarez was, you know... He, doesn't deliver the ball too badly, but it seemed like after Quintero came on, he took a few which just failed to clear the first man. Mm. And Quintero every time was dropping it, almost arrowing it towards the sort of far, far yeah, yeah. most point. Oh, he's got a laser points. in that left foot. Absolutely it's just, laser. It's ridiculous the yeah. how he does it. I mean, it's in a way, it's it, you know, Argentine football's gain is, is European <clears throat> football's loss because if only he was a little bit more dedicated with training and could stay in shape a little bit more. 
He'd be out there. He'd Definitely have been, you know, he, he wouldn't have had to come back to River from Porto back in, what was it, 2017, 2018 no. when he came. And he wouldn't have gone to China from River in 2018 or whatever. He would no, have gone done. somewhere in Europe, but that's how it goes sometimes. Indeed. And, you know, in a way, it's nice that European football isn't for everybody because mm-hmm. why should it be? You know, Indeed. Why, why can't we enjoy some of this quality? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, Rossi, undisputably the man of the match. I, mm-hmm. I said on Sunday that I think even if, if that Palavasino header had gone in, and, or certainly if having saved the Palavasino header, if River had managed to score twice in those last nine minutes and win the game, I think Rossi would still probably have been man of the match because he'd been so good before that point, especially in the first half. Um, and the big news really from the Super Classico off the pitch, unfortunately, was that River might be in some, some trouble, I gather. They, they're suspending about a 1,000 members due to yeah. trouble outside the stadium. Before there were a couple of flares inside the stadium, they were saying. Mm. I think uh, the Boca players got absolutely pelted when, when they came off the pitch. Uh, the outside the stadium, say, stadium stuff, I must admit, I haven't seen. Um, you'd have to enlighten me on that. I think there was a fight with the police outside one of the gates, oh. I assume, after the game. Oh, right. I'm going to assume that they didn't do that before when they were in a good yeah. mood and convinced their team were going to win. Um, this is something that always makes me laugh. Um, I think we've all made our um, our stance on the Barras and all that very uh, very clear, but we should um, recognise at the same time that just getting rid of the Barras isn't necessarily going to... Um, Get rid of your violence problem in mm. Argentine football because there are a lot of idiots around um, who aren't affiliated with any mafia groups. So uh, it's not a civil billet, no, exactly, no. um, which is shown by a river who have had their barra locked out for what a year now, a little bit more than a year. Or oh, it must be longer than that since the pandemic. pandemic I think, Was it before it? the pandemic or I don't know? This is where we need Andres, but mm. for an extended period of time. Yeah, we shall see. Indeed. Uh, and now we'll get on to the not quite as big game, but speak for you know, in, in some ways, for half of the people in here at least, uh, the biggest game of the lot. Yeah. Finally, I've been biting my tongue for what is now a podcast and a half. Yeah. Um, wanting to talk about this game. I'm sure that you want to begin <laughs> with a joke about how Santi only confirmed quite late on that he wasn't going to be making it. Yeah. You know, like Independiente, they have such a problem with. Uh, with last-minute definitions, what are you going to do? Indeed. Uh, this was a joke I'm recycling from our email thread, which I have a feeling didn't go down very well because he didn't get back to me and, and then didn't turn up. Um, Santi, if you're listening, it's all part of that. He knows it's all part of um, the ribbon. God knows uh, Racing fans have had to put up with enough from, from those red people. But, so tell us about the game. Gabriel Alcic gave Racing a very good early lead. Yeah, um, absolutely. Very early lead, in fact. Yeah, it was really um, a game which Racing looked like they had absolutely sign up in the first half. They were completely dominant. Um, as Sam mentioned, Alci scored after three minutes, a rebound after Tomas Changalay had waltzed pretty much um, across the entire pitch. That's incredible. Yeah. I just, I, I couldn't. I was watching it thinking. The game's just started. What are Independiente's players doing? Why are they, why is no one it was like it was like it was like the last minute of extra time in uh, in the second leg of a Champions yeah, League game, right? Like, just everyone falling to pieces. But no, it's the third minute of the game, 
and he just like power through um uh dragged this shot onto the post uh but Alchi was there and really tucked it away nicely on his weaker left foot to give Racing a dream start but also a nightmare start because there's nothing more stressful than going ahead in the third minute of a Clásico and knowing that you've got 87 minutes in front of you to um either hold on to the lead or um or extend it if possible uh in the event Racing didn't do either of those things at, um, to start with at least because um, after really having the upper hand in the first half I thought Gago uh, won the tactical battle against his other half Eduardo other half is that the right counterpart uh, adversary opposite yeah. number opposite number that'll do other half doesn't sound quite right although he did um, <laughs> upload a fighter a very nice fighter with his, other, his real other half um, who was his ex-wife's best friend, but that's a story for another oh, really? day. You didn't, you didn't hear of this? Uh, I, yeah, I just assumed he was still with his other. No, no, he went off with his with other friend. Oh, well, okay. it was quite the scandal, oh. quite the scandal. But that's for a podcast of for another day, I think. Um, his opposite number, Eduardo Dominguez, was outcoached, out tactics, tacticized, um, but he reacted, did very well. Um, brought on two fresh legs, two very um, Kind of direct attacking players in Lucas, I want to say Lucas, yep. Saldita Gonzalez, and oh shit, Alan Sonora. I knew it, I knew this, it was a Sonora, hmm. but sometimes I get one, is, yes, yeah. Alan, um, and that kind of tilted the balance in Independiente's favor, um, aligned with the fact that Racing having uh, taken the lead so early and kind of had. And having the possession, but perhaps not the chances to to make it more secure in the first half, had not done so. Um, started to fall back a little bit. Um, Independiente managed a level with a very nice uh, finish from the aforementioned Gonzalez. And from there, I think everyone who has ever watched a racing game with a vested interest um, feared the worst because... It's a Clásico, a derby that we've seen so many times in Independiente Stadium. A bright start from Racing and then everything just goes to shit. Mm. Um, I think I mentioned on the podcast last week, right, that even though you know the form book was heavily in Racing's favour, you, you couldn't take anything for granted um, because it's basically a Clásico, Independiente, away, and absolutely anything could happen and... And that, those words really did feel sadly um, pressing because uh, it seemed like a ma- only a matter of time before Independiente um, took the lead. Until a few minutes before the end, kind of a very odd move, which was um, Racing's left back, Gonzalo Piovi, uh, hoofing across to Racing's right back. Facundo Mura, who for some reason was in the box um, as like a second striker. Mura managed to just get enough in it, like flick the ball over Barret, Sergio Barreto said, I believe it was. Uh, and onto the waiting Enzo Copetti, who just managed to kind of drag it, hmm. tweak it round um, into the net and 
silence the stadium. It was it was all very exciting stuff, um, and it was brilliant. Um, just what just what you want from a from a classic, really. Like that's pretty much um, the ideal result: a late win, and if it comes with your team not really deserving it, uh, even better. Fantastic. Um, I think it wasn't quite up there with the, the 2020 Clásico when Racing were down to nine men and, and still managed to win like in the, in the final minute. Mm. But, it, you know, it wasn't far off. Um, brilliant win for Racing. Makes them the kind of top team out of every team in, in Argentina at the moment uh, in terms of points and I think even in terms of goals scored or goal difference. Um, Sam would have to confirm, but... Uh, uh, they have got four wins and three draws from seven matches. We'll go through the full standings in a few minutes, but that gives them 15 points. Yeah, They've scored 14, which, as I said earlier, is level with uh, Defensa Justicia for goals scored. So joint top, yeah. One. And goal difference-wise, Racing have conceded five to Defensa Justicia's 11. Yeah. Uh, River are the only other team who are close to them, but River have scored 13 and conceded 5. So, yeah, Racing a top on goal difference as well. Yeah. Top goal scored, top goal difference, top points. So, really not much to be upset about. Um, and if we needed anything else to, um, to just adore Gago a bit more, we got it on Monday, I think it was, when obviously... Um, after being interviewed, you know, talking about Racing for probably two minutes, two and a half minutes, every, all the time he was allotted. Uh, he was asked about the Super Classico because that's all the media care about. And he just came back, no, I didn't see it. I was at an asylum. So Obviously, there's a degree to which they're asking because he's an ex-Bocca player as well. And I think they would have asked him anyway. But, but yeah, oh, they probably would yeah. have done. But, I, mean, I thought it, that was brilliant. You know, I, I, I just don't get involved. Not that I like to defend the Argentine media, but he's one person who they could you could maybe see that there was a reason to ask, uh, which isn't to say that they don't ask it when there isn't a reason an awful lot of the time. Uh, now, Dan just mentioned one late goal that uh, even he admitted wasn't perhaps entirely deserved, um, but one late goal, Racing's wasn't the latest goal of the weekend. No. Uh, and the latest goal of the weekend... I think really was it time. Rassis was the 87th or 88th minute. Yeah, and the latest was the 96th. 96th, yeah. Um, Estudiantes had <laughs> taken the lead pretty late on in the first half mm. in the La Plata Clásico. Uh, a goal from Leon, Leonardo Godoy uh, two minutes before the break. But Gimnasia, the second half, they completely dominated. Yeah, I, I must mean, say that was one of the games I had kind of on in the background while I was working and... And once Goloy took the lead, it was like, ah, this is over, this is another yeah. Estudiantes win. Until just, thanks for a monumental fuck-up in, I mean, deep I, into injury time from Mariano. It's, it's incredible, because you look at how, you know, how the Super Clásico went, and then you look at, as you just said, Racing getting a, a, a slightly fortuitous late winner against Independiente. And, mm. and you know, the, the old, the Argentine adage of the goals that you don't score at one end come back to haunt you at the other yeah. uh, holds true for both of those matches. And I thought that it was going to be in a slightly different way because Estudiantes already had the lead. But I thought it was going to be um, the case in this game as well. But I can't, who was it who hit the, the shot? Was it Aleman? I think, I think it was Aleman, it... wasn't it? Um, he hit a shot from sort of he cut inside and oh, it might have been Carbonero no Carbonero was off the pitch by that point 
So yeah, no, it must. I think it was Aleman. Um, mm. But cut inside and, mm. and hit a ball, which, as as Dan says, Mariano Andujar mm. fell on, and for mm. a, you know a fraction of a moment, it looked like yep, that was a pretty lazy sort of the, the kind of shot that you throw up your hands if it's your team who do it and go, you've got three teammates in a better position. Mm. I know you're desperate for a goal. I know yeah, real just daisy cut again. Why, why are you shooting you know, from there and hitting it straight at the goalkeeper? <laughs> but then something else happened and Mariano Andujar didn't have the ball anymore. The ball was behind him and spinning along the goal line in this really weird way that was <laughs> swerving. In a, it, you could see it arcing across the pitch. Yeah. And I haven't was, seen anything like it since the last time I played Sam at Paul. No. Indeed, yeah. Just ridiculous uh, spin on it. I'm capable of missing some shots in very impressive manners. Um, but it looked like it was going to go wide until Eric Ramirez popped up to slam it into the roof yeah. of the net, sent the stadium wild, of course, because it was all Gymnasia fans. Um, so we f- do we think that was Maradona again using his laser vision from, from up above to, to guide the ball still into play? Because that has been positive before for Argentina matches, for Boca matches. I, I don't think that. But, but you can respect you, someone who... 100% certain that if we had a Gimnasia fan sitting in here with us now, they would swear blind that it was. If um, we ever find one. And the, the time that was left, I, I said it was the latest goal of the weekend, probably in the world. Why not? Because the time that was left was enough that the referee told the Studiantes to restart the game and then blew for full time. And then everyone's just started fighting. According to the laws of the game, that's what you have to do. Yeah. Technically speaking... You can't just stop if it the on team a goal. Have conceded, yeah. don't restart. Yeah. It doesn't actually count. The ball has to be in play. Um, what was the fight about? Like, just Andujar or someone general. else being irritated at the run stupidity? I'm going to assume that. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I thought just general classical. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I'm, I know they don't need much of an excuse, but I didn't, I didn't know if um, Estudiantes were protesting anything in particular, or if they just didn't like Gimnasia. Um, being yeah, happy. I mean, they asked. They're just um, not used to not winning Clásicos. So who was it? Who was at the centre of it? It was uh, the guy who used to play for Godoy Cruz, the midfielder. Where's his name? Where's the lineups? Uh, On the Fernando Suki. Ah, Suki. Yeah. Fernando Suki seemed to be the one that, that the gymna- and they they'd gone in on him. Some of the Gimnasia players, like ten minutes before the end or five hmm. minutes before the end, as well. And he he then was looking like you know all innocent face to be like and I hadn't seen what had happened but then mm. he was man of the match and they asked him after the game as well when he was being interviewed mm. um, what happened and he obviously you know take every every reaction with a pinch of salt here but to me it seemed like he was genuinely a bit confused about what they were so angry about him as well like whether they yeah, one just of his teammates had got in hard on somebody and they thought it had been him or something I don't know but, I think it's just a reflex isn't it like yeah. classical finishes just fight someone, see <laughs> see what happens. I'm sure Leandro Diaz had something to do with it. Also, he's usually in the almost definitely in the thick of it when it comes to being a bit of a cunt. Indeed, uh, Lanús Banfield is the the main, uh, pr- probably the biggest match we've not really mentioned yet. Did you catch any of it, Dan? I didn't. <sighs> it was a long time ago. Um, Luciano Lolo scored the only goal of the game, so you know, in a way, that's a three-one win for Racing. You know, actually, that right? And Svitanich was playing for. Um, uh, for Banfield as well and he was very happy he, said, he made the point of uh, saying it was a double celebration um, yeah. for him and I guess yeah Lolo he had a fantastic season for Racing he's not like that associated with Racing these days um, because he hasn't been there for a while I guess um, we're very uh, very admiring of what he did at Racing and very happy that we managed to sell him to River for a shit ton of money 
and then he did absolutely yeah. nothing. Um, I can't say I have any particularly strong memories of this game. It looks like Banfield just about deserved it. I saw. Um, I remember everyone getting a bit excited when Pepe San came on as a as a late sub, mm. but it doesn't seem like it was too much of a. No, I'm just wondering how much he's played so far this year. Uh, I've seen him. He's got a couple of goals already. I was going to say, yeah, because he didn't yeah. start. and so I, I, it was Maybe he's carrying a bad back or last 20 minutes arthritis. Or something. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Phil. Yeah, indeed. Sorry if you suffer from those, but I'm not trying to. Um, and, we, you know, Tigre versus Platense as well. We can't really say much about that because we were recording. Do you indeed. Know? So we, we told you when the goals were scored last week. And if they were valid or not, um, I remember. Indeed, yes, I've yes. about that. Um, but yeah, that's about it. Yeah, not much else to add. So we're going to take a half-time break. We're going to refill our glasses, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the World Cup qualifying death match, <laughs> Royal Rumble tomorrow in Conmebol. Don't go away. header coming up. Argentina hosts Venezuela on Friday evening. But first of all... Yes, that's the only dead rubber of the exactly. round. There might be a few more next in the next round, but for now, that is the only dead rubber. Indeed, because first of all, I feel like the last two or three sets of World Cup qualifiers we've ended up reviewing, and I've had like a five-minute bit where I go on about how intensely entertaining this penultimate round and final round of qualifiers are going to be. Because just to reiterate, Brazil and Argentina have qualified already. Uh, Ecuador are, I think, assured of at least the playoff spot at the moment because not everybody below them can get enough points to finish above them. And they're third. They're on 25 points with sixth place Chile if on my 19. calculations are right, they need a point from their last two games to so at least be in the playoffs. And a win will put yeah. them over the edge. Oh, no, I think they're already in the play Because some of the teams who are... Who can overtake them have to play each other so that not everybody can get maximum points. Oh, yes, so you're they, right. They're guaranteed at least fifth. It's a point um, to get in the top four. Yeah, exactly. In yeah. the last two games. So you'd imagine they were there, already there. So kudos to Gustavo Alfaro. We Indeed. had our doubts and he's been fantastic, really. He has. Uh, but then from fourth place to Uruguay down, it's Uruguay on 22 points in fourth. Peru occupying that playoff spot at the moment after that 1 0 win against away to Colombia, right, if I'm remembering rightly, a couple of months, a month or two ago, uh, on 21 points. Chile on 19 points, Colombia on 17 points, and Bolivia just hanging in there by the skin of their teeth, but, but realistically no, they're not really going to make no. it, uh, on 15 points, so six points behind Peru with two matches to go, one of which is at home, but it's at home to Brazil. So, and, you know, the other of which is not at home, and therefore... Almost they're not uh, to get the six yeah. points that they need. Um, so on Thursday evening, that's the 24th of March 2022, um, Brazil hosts Chile, Uruguay hosts Peru, Colombia hosts Bolivia, and Paraguay hosts Ecuador. 
all at half past eight Argentine time, uh, which is also half past eight Brazilian time. Not that I think we have that much. Actually, saying that, I think Bolivia can't do it even if they get. Um, they beat Colombia and. No, because Chile are playing Uruguay and Uruguay are playing Peru. Oh, so at least one of them is going to get a point. Yeah, yes. You're quite right. No. Sorry. Sorry, Bolivia. Oh, no, the important thing with that Cameroon is both of them. Ah, no, right. I see what you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, anyway, so on Thursday evening, Entertainment City. Yeah. Unfortunately, in their infinite wisdom, Teresa Sports here in Argentina have chosen that they're going to televise Brazil versus Chile and Depor TV are going to televise Colombia versus Bolivia, which means that my pick a couple of months ago for match of this particular round, which was Uruguay v Peru, yeah. is not going to be available on television in Argentina. Yes, on TC2. Oh, is it? Yes. Oh, brilliant. Okay, in that which case, is, then. I think, on Cablevisión is Channel 90 or something. That's the match I'll be watching in that case. Yes, absolutely. Or at um, least the first half of it, see how it's going, and then if anything's interesting happening. But I'm going to have another game on the laptop as well. I think that's a, that's a strong choice, yeah, it's definitely, um, definitely going to be a very good game, and Uruguay, uh, you know, they were in horrible form, albeit with a, a horrible run of um, mm. fixtures as well, they, I think they played Argentina twice, Brazil once, and Bolivia away. Yeah, I made this point, was, was it right after or right before they um, appointed a new manager as well? Well, basically, that run before, of four games, we... which ended in four defeats, um, accounted for Tavares. Yes. Then That's right. the new guy, Diogo Alonso, came in with, you know, a little bit more, um, little kinder fixtures, Paraguay away and Venezuela at home, mm. and picked up all six points. I mean, fair play. Yeah. You got, you still got to get them points. I, I um, remember that run, because I remember us talking about that before, and we got, I can't remember whether somebody asked or whether we discussed the fact that people have been saying before that they should have let Tavares go before. And me saying, well, does it make sense to appoint a new manager when you've got to play Argentina home and away and Brazil in between them and also yeah. go away to Bolivia? Yeah, um, maybe you would have picked up two points instead of zero or, exactly. or sneak to win somewhere along the way. Like that. But always going to be a hiding to nothing. Anyway, yeah. uh, I think, I mean, Uruguay v Peru is... T- I, was, I was going to try to say I think it's going to be you know this team and this team who end up getting fourth and fifth but yeah. Uruguay v Peru is the game to watch tomorrow and that's going to there's no point in predicting anything before that happens because no absolutely it's going to have such a it's fourth versus fifth yeah if Peru win then they'll go to 24 points they'll leapfrog Uruguay uh, and if and Uruguay win that basically decides the, the top four exactly yeah uh, if Uruguay win then they'll go level with Ecuador on 25 I'm going to assume that they would be uh, oh no, hang on, Ecuador aren't... Uh, I thought Ecuador played uh, Brazil for some reason. They played Brazil last time, didn't they? Yeah. In the last double header. Ecuador are away to Paraguay. Okay, so yeah. they probably won't go level with Ecuador because that'll probably be a win. Plus they have an advantage of, 14, of 13 and 14 respectively over in goal difference over mm. Uruguay and Peru. So yeah. they can be fairly Oh no, fairly yeah, relaxed. Dead, dead yeah. level, you know, level of points. Um, but yeah, they'd go to 25 and it would then be a real dogfight for the playoff spot because you'd have Peru, Oof. obviously would still be on 21. Chile, if uh, Chile were to beat Brazil, then Chile would go to 22 yeah. points. But probably Chile are going to lose away to Brazil. And so you'll have... If Uruguay win against Peru, you'd have them Peru in fifth on 21, Chile on 19, Colombia, we're going to have to assume, are going to win at home to Bolivia, because they are at home to Bolivia, so mm-hmm. they'd be on 20. 
and a final round of matches in which, uh, where is it? Peru, Paraguay. Paraguay, that's yeah. a very big chance for a, a win. Colombia away to Venezuela, also you'd expect Colombia to win that. And Chile at home to Uruguay, which could get spicy. <laughs> Correct. Um, you can imagine if Chile need like a point or a win, Uruguay are going to pull out all of the shithouse tactics. They know. And they know a lot. Yeah, there's exactly. no love lost between those two. And also, just in terms of the personnel of those two teams, those are two teams who, even by South American standards, can hand out some shit housing. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, so, in short, possibly not the best match to watch if you want pretty football. But when it's the last day of World Cup qualifying, who wants to see pretty football? Ah, it's going to be a dogfight. If you do want to see pretty football, then, you know, Ecuador are hosting Argentina, so that'll be yeah. nice. Um, you know, Bolivia versus Brazil could be entertaining as well for mm-hmm. different reasons. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Yes, it's always a big highlight whenever the qualifiers come around and these last two games really do look spicy. Even the Argentina game is going to be interesting because I think we're going to see a couple of new faces, including... That was going to be the segue. Unfortunately, we are not the South American football show. We are an Argentine football podcast. So Dan, fill us in on the Argentine national team news for the match that doesn't actually matter. Uh, How long have you got? Because there are quite a few people... Um, out of action um, four suspendees to start um, oh yes the, the ones who lied on their declarations yes Emiliano so Martinez whether we've mentioned this since it was announced um, but basically a few weeks ago I think it was Santi said that we were expecting to hear confirmation that Argentina were being awarded the match and the following day FIFA announced <laughs> that they were fining the four Argentine players who were based in England, Emiliano Martinez, Emiliano Buendia, uh, Cristiano Romero, and Gio I was going to say, the one who was playing for Tottenham at the time and isn't anymore, Gio Lo Celso, yes. um, fining both FAs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did talk about the fact that it's going to be played supposedly in a future date and somewhere outside somewhere, Brazil, or possibly yeah. not or possibly outside in Brazil, Brazil, because yeah. people were very ambiguous with the wording, but that probably won't happen. But yeah, the upshot is that... Mm-hmm. Carry on down. These four players are suspended. Yes. Um, right now for both games, but the AFA are still appealing and they're going to try and get it down to one game so they can at least be in the uh, qualifying uh, yeah, they're finale. All the, they're on the squad list for this Ecuador. Like yeah, they've all travelled. They're all here in, um, in Argentina at the moment. I'm sure their clubs are delighted about that. Um, so those four are suspended at the very least for the game against Venezuela. Uh, Lautaro Martinez couldn't travel um, because he picked up COVID just before he was supposed to get on the plane. And obviously he couldn't get on the plane, so he won't be there. Uh, Lionel Messi um, is a doubt because he's been laid low with a flu-like bug. Oh, um, for PSG that's why he didn't play at the weekend right and there might be one player or another as well who um, who's unavailable but that's that's the meat of it um, at least you know definitely five well I'd say four wouldn't you like Martinez Romero uh, Lo Celso and Lautaro are Automatic starters in this team at the moment. Mm. Um, Wendia, not so much. And well, Messi, Messi obviously is, yeah. but we don't know if he's going to play or not. Um, if he's fit, 
the will play basically. The important thing in terms of Lionel Messi's involvement with these two matches in particular is that the uh, young Europeans who've been called up have all had their photos taken with him now and got his autograph. And apparently one's going to play. Brilliant. One close to your heart, Sam. Oh, really? Alejandro Garnacho. Excellent. Um, they, because they're thinking of giving him some minutes, uh, according to all the reports that have come out of uh, Argentina recently. Mm-hmm. I don't know, probably not from the start, but he may well get off the bench. Um, the big you know, question would be who starts up front for Argentina against Venezuela, whether it's going to be Joaquin Correa or Julian Alvarez. Just stick that notch up front. It'll be fine. Yeah, Just sure. And it was funny, I had an interview with him today. I was listening. And oh, really? it wasn't so much, I wasn't really that bothered about what he was saying. Rather than the way he said it, because he has a really thick um, peninsula Spanish accent. Mm. Um, like, with the lisp and the yeah for, for double L's and the, and the Y oh sorry very unprofessional of me. and they're hacking something out of the back of his throat every time there's a J somewhere in the sentence yeah um, I mean he was born in Madrid in fairness so. yeah he's lived his entire life in, in Spain so it's not really that um, that surprising but he says that um, he's he's very excited to be in the Argentina team like you know his um, his mum's from Argentina so so he feels very very close, and and yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if um, if he sees a few minutes. Is uh, it his first time in Argentina? I, I'd imagine he, you know, he'd come here on holiday. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll see how it goes. I haven't seen a projected starting lineup actually, which usually. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to ask whether you had, because obviously, I, I mean, I haven't, but yeah. people would have worked out from the fact that I'm surprised just now by the fact that Garnacho might actually play. But um, I've, I've been rather busier doing work that doesn't involve football than um, you have. Um, I must say, I haven't seen Who's going to be in goal? Because with Martinez suspended, no wondering whether the yeah. fans were just trying to pick up Rossi for this one match and not after that. They've been trying. Um, I hope it's neither Rossi yeah. or Armani. Um, I can't remember who the fourth goalkeeper was in the squad. Uh, Juan Musa, of course, the Atalanta yeah. ex Racing keeper. Yes, I was going to say the Udinese guy, but he's not yeah. that Udinese anymore. There is a rumor. I have one rumored Argentina eleven from a Twitter account I've never seen before. Oh, I'm from Golazo Argentina, which oh, well, I have seen before. I would um, definitely heard of him. Yeah, I would take that. So what's um, Peter saying? Much more seriously. He's saying, Armani and golf, for fuck's sake. Get him out, like... I mean, look, you know, I'm fan of Armani, but he's not an international quality he's, keeper. He's, no, And he's shown it. Even if he was, he's... 30, Maybe if he was at one point, he definitely no, isn't he's, now. He's not the future of the Argentine. No, and I contend that even back in 2018 at the World Cup, he wasn't, but, you know, river. Um, Armani and goal, Molina... Pezzella, Otamendi, Tagliafico. So, okay, nice. Nice surprises there with Romero. Because I think, I think Montiel's another one who's um, yeah. iffy fitness-wise, or possibly suspended for something unrelated to right. the silliness in Brazil. Uh, De Paul, Paredes, Alexis McAllister, or Exe Palacios. Lionel Messi, so he's got him down as... Uh, as confirmed. Uh, Montiel was booked in Argentina's last match against Colombia, by the way, so I think it was for that. 
Right. I think I, I seem to remember now yes, that, that confirmation that they did say at the time that that means he's going to miss yeah. this one. And here it gets a little bit confusing. Joaquin Correa or Ángel Correa? And Nicolas Gonzalez or Ángel Correa? So that Ángel so Correa, if he doesn't end up playing, has got reason to feel a little bit miffed. Yeah, it would seem so. He's in contention for two spots. Yeah. Argentina um, could field a starting 10 with him expected to feel to play left wing and centre forward at the same time. That'd be an interesting way to go, though. If Scaloni gets a bit confused with himself. Yeah. Um, so from that, it would appear Joaquin Correa would be playing sort of as a false nine and with either Ángel Correa or Nico González outside him and Lionel Messi on the other flank. Mm-hmm. I... You know, I'd honestly give the chance to Julian Alvarez, I think, at, at this stage, rather than change the system and use a false nine instead of a more orthodox centre-forward. But Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was saying the last time we talked about him for Argentina that it would be good to see him... Sorry, I just pressed something I didn't mean to press on my phone. Uh, yeah, go away, remove from phone. Um, that it would be good to see him given the chance through the middle. Because when he's come on for Argentina so far, it's tended to be being put on the left, and they yeah. moved. You know, if Messi stayed on the pitch, then they've moved Messi into the middle, mm-hmm. um, and so he's sorry being put on the right, I should say, um, with Messi going through the middle, and so he's been expected to play more of a winger's role than what he's been for River for most of the time, uh, certainly this year, which is the line with the lone centre forward. So yeah, I, th- I think it'd be interesting to see. Um, and then obviously Garracha coming off the bench and scoring a hat trick. Yeah, I know. I mean, the other thing you know with with Alvarez again is is that if you're going to give him his first chance, then at home to Venezuela yeah. is the closest thing that South America has. I suppose he could be at home to Bolivia, but mm-hmm. it's the closest thing South America has to a nice gentle way of, of bedding in a player at international level in a competitive And in the Bombonera to boot. Oh yeah, that would be yeah. Could be on a hiding to nothing like if it if it goes wrong. But hey, um, so yeah, that's one to keep an eye on. Like, I don't, yeah, I think there won't be too many changes from that, you know, projected probable starting lineup. It seems fairly, um, fairly plausible to me. Um, yeah. I'd not to say I agree with all of the, all of the choices, especially in goal. Um, but should be enough to get past Venezuela. And even if it isn't, at this point, does it really matter? Indeed. I mean. Just play all the seventeen-year-olds and and piss off Spanish Italy for all I care. Indeed. Um, we'll move on to Lister's questions now. Jamie yes. Ralph has oh, actually. I'm going to read one out first of all. Tom O uh, says came across your pod randomly hearing an episode from 2014. Had a good listen last night. Very enjoyable. Thank you very much, Tom. And welcome aboard. Uh, Jamie Ralph says Pedro Caixinha, or as I'm guessing Portuguese people say it, Pedro Caixinha. To, a tash, to Tacheres is quite the left field appointment for an Argentine club. Have many or any Portuguese managers coached in Argentina before? The first thing to say is this isn't 100% confirmed yet, but it does look like it's about 98% confirmed. Right. Uh, and I, I had a quick look at him on Wikipedia because yeah. I saw this headline earlier today. I this is the first time I've seen Jamie's um, question. And having never heard of it before, I mean, not Pedro Caixinha, I've heard of Jamie before. Um, <laughs> he he seems like a manager who possibly isn't getting jobs in Europe for a reason. 
Right. And therefore is deciding to, you know, make the most of it and travel to some interesting places in his career. Yeah, and Tashir is out of all of the clubs in Primera, they've got this, like, odd management setup, right, where they're mm. sort of private but not, and the management group's also a little bit Mexican, so... Not you know, not I'm not saying that in a disparaging way. It's um, just yeah. facts, really. And he's just been was it Dorados de Sinaloa or something? Possibly. I'm is, I'm with you. I'm, I think he was appointed in whichever Mexican club it was in December, and is, has a record of something like two wins, one draw, and five defeats in eight matches or something. And yeah, so, so that's probably where the um, where the connections come up. Santos Laguna. Santos Laguna. Santos Laguna. That's probably where the connections come up then, like from Tacheres is Mexican um, Mexican links. Um, I honestly don't know, and it, I mean, he can't do much worse than Achil Oshas. No. You know, as when it comes to taking a good team and making them bad, like mm. he did a pretty comprehensive job at it, and and they won actually without yeah. him. I mean, um, the thing is that South, uh, Portuguese managers in South American football at the moment. They're very much in vogue in, stuff. I mean, the in Brazil, three, they're very much in vogue, yeah. The last three Copas Libertadores have been won by Portuguese managers. Yep. Admittedly, the last two have been the same Portuguese manager at the same club, and Tacheres are not going to win next year's Copa Libertadores. <laughs> you wouldn't have thought so, no. I'm 100% certain. If they do, I will transfer ownership of this podcast to whoever wants it first. Yeah. Um, that's not going to happen. No. Portuguese... Um, predecessors here I can't think of any I'm not aware of any no unless there's somebody with like dual citizenship you know like we've had uh, a couple of Spaniards I mean Juan Antonio Pizzi has a Spanish passport and if you look (laughs) on his Wikipedia page he's an ex-Spanish footballer indeed with Argentine nationality even though he was born in Buenos Aires and all the rest of it Uh, and there have been you know I'm sure there are one or two others who've got Spanish passports in the same way as there are going to be several at the moment who've got dual citizenship yeah. in Europe but uh, I'm not aware of any actual Portuguese people who have managed to me neither no I think Boca have had a Brazilian or two right oh, there's a Brazilian who managed River for a few matches in like the 40s or something but yeah uh, I'm really stretching back into the memory banks now and I no Portugal no um <laughs> Darren Paul is... Oh, right, okay, so before I read this out, I'm going to have to explain that my uh, my tweet calling for um, questions this week mentioned the fact that next week... I'm actually flying, I think, on Thursday, but I'm off to Patagonia next week. Uh, and between there not being any league football next week and the fact that I tend to pack in quite a panicked fashion uh, <laughs> when I go away... Um, we might not have time to record a proper episode next week. I think mm. what we will probably do is try to record a hand of pod extra for our Patreon fans just looking back on Argentina's couple of World Cup qualifiers, uh, which will be a quick episode via Zoom, mm-hmm. and therefore Sounds it won't good. take up too much time, if Dan doesn't mind. Not at all. Um, but yeah, so I, I mentioned that I'm off to Patagonia next week, and so Darren has asked, how's your Welsh, Sam? Uh, non-existent, Darren. I can probably do a slightly better impression of being able to read it off a road sign than most English people because I grew up in southwest England and so I'm aware that you know Cardiff is called Cardiff and all that kind of stuff and that the double D and the double L are pronounced differently from what an English speaker would expect but that's it uh, he also asks where does the Clásico de Avellaneda rank in recent ones I mean Dan is the best person to ask here and I suspect you're not going to get an entirely neutral answer but Dan uh, it was good yeah 
Um, I very much enjoyed it. Um, considering the last one was, I don't want to sound biased here, but uh, so I hope Sam will back me up if he has any memory of the game. It was a, it was a complete washout, literally, where it oh, rained yeah. so much, and the ball couldn't roll even two feet, and in the Benyendis basically won a game of water polo one one nil. Um, mm. Is it really bust if I said it was better, at least more entertaining than that one? It was played on grass. So. It was played on grass instead of water. Yeah. So, um, but I think you know, just taking that racing of one, four of the last five Clásicos. That was the mm. only defeat they've had in the last five. Um, so, very, very recently, at least, uh, if we take recently as the last two years, um, we've been looking forward to Clásicos. They've been very good fun. Yeah, uh, Darren. Also says, is Gago actually any actually decent? I mean, yeah, yeah of course. We've been saying that for yeah. a couple of weeks now, at least. Uh, someone please explain how Rebet are lost on Sunday. Boca, as bad as I've seen them look in years. Uh, I mean, I hope that we've already explained it. We've talked about this a lot, yeah. Um, uh, they didn't they, take their chances. They got a Boca. little bit unlucky, but they yeah. largely shot themselves in the foot. Uh, following up on that, Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, says, did Boca show the blueprint on how to defend a lead against River? I think Onyan um, had already showed it this year as well. Yeah, I think actually I was going to say that I, I would say Onyan more than Boca because I, I, I wouldn't say that Boca necessarily showed it because not everybody in the league has got players of Boca's quality. Mm. And also, Boca did get a bit lucky. Um, yes. Like they, they, they were, were quite lucky to be in a position to get that lead because they should have been at least a couple of goals down at half-time if River had had their shooting boots on. Mm. Um and you can't, you know, like the blueprint can't be getting incredibly lucky. The blueprint needs to be going with a, a, a good game plan. And yes. I'm not saying the Boca did, didn't deserve the result. They did. Um, but they were right. They rode their luck a bit and they did it with better players than the rest of the league has got to go with. And therefore, I, if I were managing any other club in the country and I had a, an away game against River coming up, I wouldn't be going, oh, I'll look at how Boca approached it and then I'll try and get my players to do that. No, I'll take Union's example. Indeed. Um, a little bit further. Um, Liam continues shouldn't be losing to a goal like that and there was a lack of a reaction yeah no, that's true see. not taking chances defensive mistakes but a problem should they go back to two up front Alvarez as the lone striker doesn't work wow. I've seen this debated and I was thinking about this earlier because as I say I'd seen it mentioned elsewhere um, that could possibly be a solution to the Ezequiel Barco slash Juan Fernando Quintero dilemma how to get the two kind of creative, not particularly mm. um, proactive in defence players. If you've played Barco just off Julian Alvarez up front and oh, as then a second as a second striker and Quintero a little bit further behind, but mm. that's also fairly kamikaze. And yeah. as much as Gacharo likes attacking football, I don't know if he's... Um, if he's that crazy to try it. But oh, it'll be fun. Yeah, I think it'll be very fun. Who's going up front alongside Alvarez? Well, in that scenario, it'd be Barco. But yeah. otherwise, it would have to be Brian Romero. Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of... I don't know whether he's got the legs for it in every match, necessarily. Um, but, yeah, we'll have to see. The Biting Flea, we've not heard from you for a good while, mm-hmm. says, Apropos Patagonia, what's the most southern club to ever play in the Argentine top flight and 
this will I, I hope you're sitting down whoever when you're listening to this because you're going to yeah. fall off your chair if you are if you're listening to this on your jog standing. stop because you're going to end up running into a truck yeah. and dying we have actually done some research yeah. for a tweet because we saw him tweet this before we started recording and Dan has unearthed an answer after me pointing out various things on Google Maps to him about how certain <laughs> cities were quite a lot further north than he thought. Indeed, yes. Um, our first thought was Olimpo of Bahia Blanca, but that proved to be... I would say that was the sort of... The that's kind of the opening, yeah. The, the one that we actually thought might be. Indeed, yeah. We thought there must have been one because um, back in the day, um, the Argentine top flight, as we mentioned... Quite a few times, I think, in, in the history of this podcast, but for newer listeners, I'll reiterate, uh, the Argentine League was split into uh, two championships, kind of like it is now, but yeah. with different clubs. You had the Metropolitano, which was a competition only for clubs in the greater Buenos Aires, La Plata and Rosario regions. And you had the Nacional, which was open to every club in Argentina and had all sorts of crazy ways of qualifying and, and was formats and, and one was in goodness. one half of the year and the other was one was in one half of the year the other was in the other half of the year this is this is off the top of my head but I think it was something like this started in about 1967 and ended in about 1981 when they started doing season long European style leagues no it was before For a few years was it it was 1968 I believe was the inaugural yeah uh, Metropolitano and Nacional. Oh, you okay, mean when like, it ended? a year after, I guess. But then yes. when did it end? In like eight, 81 or 82 or something like that. And then they had a... In most of the 80s were proper league seasons. Yeah. And they went to the short championships. Something like that. Possibly 80, as late as 84. Could have been, yeah. So I know Maradona's sole title with Boca was the 81... I want to say Metropolitano. Hmm. But anyway, we're, uh, we're digressing. That's a bit of the, the story about it. The upshot was that this Nacional format gave a lot of clubs from around, you know, the length and breadth of Argentina who'd never had a chance to be anywhere near the, the top flight, uh, they suddenly had a chance to be there. And despite this, only six teams from Patagonia, since he, he referenced Patagonia, uh, managed to play in it. It's, it's worth pointing out, for the benefit of people who don't really know anything about Argentina's social geography, that approximately... 50 people live in Patagonia. This is true, yes. It's a, this is true. It's an area the size of Western Europe, but yeah, no one lives but there. But no one lives there. And those six teams are Huracán de Comodoro, Comodoro Rivadavia, Independiente de Trelew, uh, which is one of the Welsh-speaking or Welsh-related places for Darren, uh, Chipoleti, Deportivo Roca, and Atlético Villa Regina. So the first two are from Chubut, the th- those um, following three are from Rio Negro, these are Argentine provinces, mm. and then Neuquén um, had one team, Alianza del Cutral Co. Yeah, Neuquén is, is the most northerly of Patagonia's provinces. Yes. Uh, and Treleo and Comodoro Rivadavia, which are in uh, Chubut, mm-hmm. that's like the, sort of the middle one. Yes. Uh, then you've got Santa Cruz underneath which has nothing except for glaciers really yeah um, that's where I'm going <laughs> indeed um, thanks to Google Maps and looking you know across Argentina to see latitudes we have devised we have decided that Huracan 
the Comodoro Rivadavia is the southernmost club to ever play in the Argentine top flight and most likely the world. They played in the 1971 Nacional Championship, Fantastic. which I believe was won by Rosario Central. Yeah, around then, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so this is a bit of um, an appeal if we have any listeners who know anything about Chilean football. Uh, because Comodoro Rivadavia is quite a bit further south than Puerto Montt. And Puerto Montt, uh, Deportes Puerto Montt, are the furthest south participants in the Chilean top flight that I've been able to find on a very quick uh, Google, because I wasn't going to go through looking at all the tiny little towns they've got further down. I mean, I don't know whether anybody from Punta Arenas has ever played in the Chilean top flight, but if you know about Chilean football, <laughs> and you can answer that question, please you know, tweet us at Hand of Pod. Um, and let us know because there is I mean there are obviously football teams in Argentina in Santa Cruz and Tierra del Fuego provinces but none of them have ever been anywhere near the top flight so and we should say that that Campeonato Nacional of 1971 as well as being known across Argentina you know well extremely famous for being the year in which the southernmost club played in the top flight there was also um, a a B side to that, which was um, Aldo Boy's famous diving header, uh, yes, which has been replicated across the world um, by crazy Central fans. As I say, you know, the most the southernmost club is obviously the most important thing that happened that year, but the diving header is almost also, you know, fairly noteworthy. Yeah, I'm being a little bit sarcastic, just in case. That didn't come across. Indeed. It I just occurred to me that there might possibly... I've just been looking out on Google Maps at like maximum zoom out. Right. And then scrolling along. And I think that the very, very, very far south of New Zealand might just possibly be roughly level with Commodore Rivadavia. So if there's a team in the New Zealand top flight who've played in like Dunedin or somewhere further south than that, possibly, but I'll have to look up... Um, actual coordinates and stuff mm-hmm. there. Commodore Rivadavia basically is a very long way south. It's further south than the furthest bit of Africa. It's further south than anything in either mainland Australia or Tasmania. I think it might be, yeah, just about level with the south of New Zealand or possibly a little bit further south. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a whole other couple of provinces in Argentina that stick out even further down. And I'm going to the south, or the, yeah, the south and the sort of, uh, even the northern bit of where I'm going is about two-thirds of the way down Santa Cruz um, to a place called El Calafate and then I'm going to be spending my birthday in El Chalten which I discovered at the weekend was put up by the Argentine government founded in 1987 uh, as a way of winning a border dispute with Chile yeah. because they wanted to draw the border one way and the Argentine government went nope, we've got a town <laughs> here you can't draw the border, this is Argentine um, so that's where I'm going to be going I can't wait photography is going to be fantastic um, I'm not going to see an awful lot of football mm. because there are about 600 people living in Chalten and I was telling Dan before we started recording that my Lonely Planet guidebook to it which I bought ahead of my last holiday here in Argentina mm. in 2007 uh, 2006 so why have I got a 2007 guidebook I don't know I might, I might have bought it before I moved here in that case uh, but yeah when that was published uh, there were still no ATMs in Chalten <laughs> Apparently there are now, so that'll be nice. I'll be able to use one. 
something. Uh, the biting flea also asks, "Will he?" I don't know. I can't see what he's. This was in reference to, to one of my tweets saying about Garnacho possibly. Ah, okay. Will he choose La Albi Celeste or La Roja? Well, it looks... I think the choice has already been made for him, The choice has been made. Well, presumably he's made it. No one's holding a gun to his head. (laughs) I hope. Yeah. If they are, that's a scandal, and we'll be talking about it next week. Indeed. Hand of Pod Extra. Um, But yeah, this is, therefore, probably the last time you'll hear from us until... We have another question. Lawrence Hart might have just fucked us. After all of that brilliant... Well... um, could have research least, we did he could have at least bought us dinner first <laughs> um, it's not showing up on my Twitter uh, so can you read it he jumped in and asked what's the most northerly club to oh god um, as I was flicking around somebody in Jujuy probably right well Gimnasia Jujuy have played several years in um, yeah. uh, in the Primera even recently I think up to 2008 was their last year or 2006 mm. um I know a couple of teams from Formosa have played. Um, I don't know whether a dark horse for this distinction would be um, Guarani Antonio Franco up in Posadas. Because in Misiones, because you know Misiones has that bit that like just jabs out. Trying to get my map to point north again, weren't you? This this would definitely be one. No. San Salvador de Jujuy is. I mean, the northernmost point of Argentina is the northernmost part of Salta. Yes. The Salta kind of goes round. San Salvador de Jujuy is further north than anything in Misiones. Yes, that is so correct. It's going to be one of the teams from San Salvador de Jujuy for the benefit of those who don't know Argentina's geography again being the capital city of the province of Jujuy, which is, as yeah. Dan says, the, the actual northernmost bit is in Salta province, but Jujuy is the bit that's sort of right up bordering Bolivia. Yes, um, and the northernmost bit of Salta is pretty much uninhabited jungle, I believe. Yeah. So it's either a team in the northernmost tip of Formosa, which I don't have either the time or the inclination to research now, or we'll just give it to Gimnasia de Jujuy. I would say we give it to Gimnasia de Jujuy, and if you tweet us... A little bit earlier, next time we record, Lawrence, we'll have time to actually look it up properly and confirm whether that's true or not. Indeed. Um, On that subject, I'll just... Oh, okay. We've just had another one from uh, somebody called Boca, who has an (laughs) NFT open his user profile, but I'm going to read his thing out anyway, who says, Gimnasio de Jujuy, for sure. Uh, Crucero are in the the south of Misiones. They're below Formosa, south of Jujuy. Yes. So he agrees with us. So there we go. Um... I would just add that if you're interested in football in the northernmost and southernmost extremes of Argentina, mm-hmm. uh, watch El Otro Football yeah. by Federico Peretti. It's a documentary that we recommended many moons ago. I've still not watched it myself. You, know? you haven't? It's watch on, it. It's on Daily Motion, I think, isn't it? Or it was when it was released. It will be, or if not, you've got. I'm sure you get it on like Cinead or those apps. Like it's on, and it's on cable fairly uh, uh, fairly regularly so you shouldn't have a problem yeah Nick, that must have come out in yeah as you said like 2012 or twenty twelve. I watched in the cinema in 2012 there you go there we go um, but watch it it's very good and that goes for you too Sam indeed um, yeah at some point I will do yeah. uh, on that note we will say goodbye 
Um, yeah, no Mystic Sam this week. No, no Mystic Sam. Because, well, I can try and give you a bit of a prediction for the double header to come. Let's mm. see. Seventeen of South American qualifying. Brazil versus Chile. I'm going for a Brazil win. Sticky neck. Yep, really taking a risk with that one. Uruguay versus Peru. I'm going for a. I'll tell you what. I'll go for the scoreline as well. It's going to finish three-three. Bloody hell. Yeah. Or possibly two-two. I'm going to say two-one to Uruguay. Uh, either way, watch it because even it could end nil-nil. It will still be. Tense right up until the last minute. You know, and it could be very bloody as well. Or it could be a complete blowout, yes. but whatever happens, it's going to be entertaining. Colombia versus Bolivia. Again, I'm going to stick my neck out and go for a home win. Paraguay versus Ecuador, an Ecuador win. And Argentina versus Venezuela will be an Argentina win. Julian Alvarez is going to score six goals. And Garnacho, another six. And then, yeah, then they're going to send the big guns on, and Alejandro Garnacho is <laughs> going to start scoring. And then next week, uh, I think all of these matches are on the Tuesday, which is the 29th, Bolivia versus Brazil will be a Brazil win because Brazil actually, in spite of all of their moaning every time they have to play, and the fact that they, them and Argentina were the ones who bullied FIFA into saying no, no games above 3,000 meters, yeah. whatever it was, about 10 to 10 or 12 years ago, uh, Brazil actually are the one team who don't have a particularly bad record in La Paz, I think. Uh, so I'm going to go for a narrow Brazil win there. Ecuador versus Argentina, I think, will be a draw. Uh, Chile versus Uruguay will be 3-3 in terms of red cards and I'm going to go for Uruguay to scrape it in terms of goals. Venezuela versus Colombia is a Colombia win and Peru versus Paraguay is a Peru win and I'm not sure whether if all of the results I just predicted actually come off therefore who would qualify. I think it'll be Ecuador and Uruguay automatic and Peru in the playoffs. I think it would put Peru in the playoffs, wouldn't it? Yeah, if, yeah. Yeah, if, if Peru are winning either of their games, which I did just predict against Paraguay, then yes. they should be in the playoffs. Uh, so there we go. As I've already said, if you're a listener to Hand Pod Extra, i.e. a Patreon supporter, then we will try to record a review episode there because that will only take a few minutes and it will be nice and quick. But for the main episode, you'll be hearing from us next uh, the week the second week of April basically not not next week not the week after or possibly the very end of the week after that but more likely in three weeks time perfect uh, so for now thank you very much indeed for listening enjoy the football enjoy these last World Cup qualifiers whichever continent you're on because um, it's going to be drama all round I think yeah. uh, and goodbye from English Dam goodbye and from me thank you and goodbye <laughs>